Well, good morning and happy Easter, New Life family. If you're a guest or you're just happening to be joining in with us on this Easter morning, a special warm welcome to you. My name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. Uh, man, if there has ever been a need in our world for good news, that time is now. And I have some great news for you this morning. Now, I, I love Easter because for me, Easter is a reminder that we have a God who is alive, not a God who is dead and buried in the ground. Easter is a reminder to me that we have a God that can take what is dark and can take what is dead and transform it into light and life. I also love Easter because this is one of the few times during the year that I typically have a chance to talk to some of you that I don't normally get a chance to connect with. In fact, I'm guessing that there are many of you who are tuned in to this broadcast right now um, who are skeptical, uh, to say the least, about all of this Jesus stuff. In fact, I would guess there are some of you watching this right now and you think this whole Jesus thing is downright crazy. In fact, if I were a betting man, I, I would bet that there are dozens of you tuning in right now, not because you want to be tuning in, but because your mama or somebody else said, hey, boy, girl, it is Easter Sunday, and we are going to watch an Easter service on Easter Sunday by God. And so here you are. Now, here's, here's what I think. I think you are tuned in right now, whether you realize it or not, for a reason, I don't think you're watching this service by accident. And so let me just encourage you, uh, whether you're here because you want to be here or you're here because you're trying to get your ma or your grandma or somebody off your back until next Easter, let's just make the most of the next 35 minutes or so that we have together. Now, here's, here's what I know to be true. Regardless of what you believe and where you are spiritually, the entire Christian faith hinges on one historical event. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if that didn't happen, like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, if that didn't happen, we as followers of Jesus are to be pitied as the world's biggest fools because we are victims of falling for the greatest hoax in human history. But in that same letter, Paul goes on to say, but since Christ did rise from the dead, we now have an invincible hope now and forever. And so what I want to do this morning, because listen, I have, I have staked my life on this. I'm betting my life that this is true. I've given my life to this cause. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to give you three reasons why I believe that the resurrection of Jesus is true. That's a historical fact. That The reasons that I believe that it actually happened and why I believe you should stake your life on it as well. And then I want to give you two what I think are life-changing implications if indeed that tomb is still empty and then we'll be done. And so that's kind of the game plan this morning. And then um, I hope you have a ham in the oven right now, maybe some deviled eggs cooling in the, the fridge, perhaps some plastic eggs with some good chocolate and gummies and things like that. Maybe you're gonna hide for the kids around the house later on and then you'll, you'll sneak when they're not looking and get all the good candy out of it like I, like I do. But I hope you have a great day planned. If you have a Bible at home, go ahead and grab it and head for Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Now, if you don't have a Bible at home, 
that's totally fine. We're going to have all of these passages on the screen for you. I just want you to know that I'm not making this stuff up, right? So we're going to start in Luke chapter 24. Just a little background before we dive into the text this morning. At this point in the narrative in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been crucified. And his lifeless, mangled body has been removed from the Roman cross. He's been buried in the tomb of a well-known Jewish leader named Joseph. His disciples at this point in time are absolutely devastated. They're crushed. They're terrified. The scriptures tell us that most of them are actually together hiding in Jerusalem or right outside of Jerusalem because they're terrified. They, at this point, have to be thinking, we're next. <laughs> like, like, we have staked everything on this Jesus guy. Now he's dead, and we are in deep, deep trouble. They are shaken, and they are hopeless. And it's into this really kind of intense, intimidating, dark, heart-pounding scene that we're actually going to be entering into the narrative in Luke. Now, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Luke, the author of this particular gospel, was a, a Greek medical doctor. And he actually investigated all of the claims of Jesus. He interviewed a bunch of the eyewitnesses, people that knew Jesus and saw the resurrection, and he became a follower of Jesus himself. And this is the author that writes this, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 24. Luke writes this. But on the first day of the week, so that's, that's Sunday morning, that's like right, right now or a little bit earlier today, at early dawn, they, and when Luke says they, he's, he's speaking about a, a handful of women who were disciples, they were followers of Jesus Christ, including uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. They went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared to kind of embalm his, his body. Verse two, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood uh, by them in dazzling apparel, the, these, these angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, the disciples, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So let me pause for a minute just right there, and let me say to those of you who are tuned in right now that maybe, maybe you have some doubts. If that's, if that's you, I just want you to know you're in really good company. The, the very disciples of Jesus did not believe that he was alive, that he had resurrected from the dead the first time they heard it. Now, some of you, I'm just guessing, you probably even have pride in the fact that you're a skeptic, right? You, you just doubt everything, and I get it. I mean, I, I tend to be a skeptic by nature as well. If somebody tells me the sky is blue, I'm probably gonna step outside and just make sure they're not trying to deceive me for some reason. I, I get it. I tend to be a skeptic as well. But you doubt some of these things? Great. So did the disciples of Jesus. So let me, let me just encourage you, as we kind of walk through this story together from one skeptic to another, let me encourage you to doubt your doubts. See, that's the one thing many of us as skeptics never doubt. We never doubt our doubts. We never actually stop and take the time to examine the reasons why we doubt that something is true. So let me just 
encourage you to examine the possibility that the weight of the evidence may not land on the side of unbelief here when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus. So let's pick up the narrative, this time in John's gospel. Now remember, the, the ladies have just gone to the tomb. They've seen the stone rolled away. They, they peeked in. It was empty. And so they can't believe what's just happened. They've raced back to where the disciples are, and they've told them that the, the grave is empty, the tomb is empty, and the disciples did not believe. And so let's pick up in John's gospel. Uh, John was probably, a lot of biblical scholars think, uh, Jesus' closest friend, his best friend. He was also an eyewitness to all these events. And so his, his story, his testimony carries a lot of weight. So this is John chapter 20, and this is uh, beginning in verse 3. John writes, so Peter went out with the other disciple. That's John. He's referring to himself here. And they, they were going toward the tomb, right? So they, they don't believe, but they're like, hey, we got we to gotta check this, this out, right? Because they're pretty adamant that the thing is empty. Verse 4, both of them were running together, but the other disciple, that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now let me pause there and just say, I find this uh, absolutely hilarious, that John, writing this gospel, takes the time to mention that he outran Peter in a foot race to the tomb. Like, I just picture, I just picture John writing this like, man, I cannot wait to see Peter's face when he reads this. And I, can't, I just can picture like Peter reading John's gospel for the first time. Like, dang, I cannot believe he put that in there, right? These guys are, they're real guys. They're competitive. To me, this is hilarious that he put this fact in here. Verse 5. All right, so John beats Peter to the tomb. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, just in case you forgot, the other disciple, John, who got there first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. So these disciples of Jesus, they watch Jesus be arrested. They watch him tortured, executed, and buried. And they no longer believe at this point. They are hiding. They are terrified. And then all of a sudden, something happens to change all of that. So let me just give you three reasons why I believe all of this is true and why I think you should also believe that all of this is true. Reason number one, to believe that the resurrection is true. Number one is the unexplainable homesickness of the human experience. The unexplainable homesickness of the human experience. See, here, here's what I know. If you're watching this, regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or a Buddhist or an atheist, we, we all long for a better world, don't we? Uh, we have you noticed that even, even the things that we love in this world, they don't, they don't ever fully satisfy us. That's why no matter how much good food we get or, 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 or sex or recognition or money or power, we're like, we're, we're always left with just like this subtle ache inside of us. Like, man, there's got to be more than this. I'm convinced that's one reason why divorce is such an epidemic in our culture today, man. Because we, we marry somebody that we love and pretty soon we, we figure out that they cannot feel that happiness void inside of us. So we think something is wrong and we move on to the next and then the next. Look, you guys know if you've been around a while, you guys know I, I love my wife Cheryl more than anything I love in this world. But the reality is this, 
my wife, Cheryl, as much as I love her, she cannot fix what's broken inside of me. She cannot satisfy those deep places of my heart that only God was meant to satisfy, and I can't do that for her either. And so if we're, if we're not careful, what happens is we can spend our entire lives chasing something or chasing some things that only God can satisfy inside of us. See, it doesn't matter what your worldview is. You instinctively look around at the world and you know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Viruses are not supposed to wipe out tens of thousands of people off the planet in a matter of weeks. Little kids are not supposed to get cancer and die. Injustice and evil shouldn't engulf the world like it does. So no matter what we do or what we achieve or what we experience in life, there's just this like unexplainable ache within all of us, this longing for more, this longing for someplace better. King Solomon, one of the wisest guys to ever walk the face of this earth, he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this, God has placed eternity in the heart of every person. And what Solomon was saying is we all, we all long for home. We all long for a world that we've, we've only gotten glimpses of, perhaps in a sunrise over the ocean or a waterfall tucked deep into a mountain paradise or the laugh of a small child. All of those things arouse within us an awareness of our true home. C.S. Lewis, the, the famous author, who was an atheist, became a, a follower of Jesus. He writes this in his book, The Weight of Glory, when talking about that ache or that, that homesickness that, that we all experience for another world that we've never seen. This is what Lewis writes. He says, the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust it to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was a, was a longing, this homesickness, these things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of, I love this, listen to this, they are only the scent of a flower we have not found. The echo of a tune we have not heard. News from a country we have never yet visited. Do you think I'm trying to weave a spell? Perhaps I am, but remember your fairy tales. Spells are used for breaking enchantments as well as for inducing them. And that's his way of saying, doubt your doubts. Lewis would go on to say, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Now listen, friend, you know this to be true. There lies within each one of us the echo of eternity, the desire for our home, and only Jesus answers that deepest longing that we all have. In fact, in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to prepare a place for them, a new world, a new heavens, a new earth, a new city, a place where there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, no more so sorrow, a place where he will wipe away every tear and he will make everything that is wrong right again and he will take us home one day. That's the first reason I just believe that the resurrection of Jesus is true. It's the only thing ultimately that makes sense in our human experience. The second reason that I've staked my life on the resurrection of Jesus 
is because of, listen, the personal experience, the personal transformation that I've had that I, I think is just simply unexplainable, humanly speaking, right? So that's kind of the second evidence I would submit to you. Number two, personal life transformation. Now, for those of you tuned in who didn't know me, didn't know the, the pre-Jesus uh, Chris, the old Chris, let, let me introduce you to the old Chris. Now, I realize some of you that are out there watching, you maybe did know me in those days, and so you may be watching this right now trying to figure out if, uh, if I'm legit, if I'm still the same person I was all those years ago. But that guy that I was, the pre-Jesus Chris, that guy was, he was completely self-focused. My mission in life, very simply, was to experience as much pleasure as I possibly could and make as much money as I possibly could. I was selfish, I was self-centered, and I was self-focused. Not only that, I was absolutely petrified of public speaking. In fact, even after I came to faith in Christ in my early 20s, the one thing I told God I would never do is stand in a pulpit and preach. I was like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go to the most dangerous areas of the world to be a missionary. I will give my life away to you. Just don't ever ask me to speak in front of people. I was terrified. I was the guy that would take a C in class instead of an A just to get out of the speaking assignment. I was mortified of public speaking, and I was dead set even after I began to follow Jesus, on never doing that. About a decade after I started following Jesus, my, my boss, my old boss, my lead pastor at a church that I was working at, he asked, he asked me to preach. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure why I, I agreed to it, and I, I certainly wasn't happy about it, but, uh, but I agreed to do it. And I, I'm just telling you, man, I, I can't explain it. I think back on that day uh, 10 years ago or whatever it was, and I, and I got up and I was scared to death, and something just came over me. And, I, and I've never experienced anything like it before or after. It was just like, it was like, I don't know if you've had like an out-of-body experience, but it was like I was standing on the stage watching myself preach, and I was going like, what, what the heck is going on? What, what is happening? I couldn't explain it. I was comfortable. I was confident. I was bold. It was like I was created for this. See, the scriptures tell us that every person that believes and trusts in Jesus is given a spiritual gift. That just means they're, they get something that they, they are good at that they weren't actually born with. It's a supernatural gift. I know many of you have experienced this, whether you have the gift of mercy or faith or generosity or teaching or hospitality, and there was just no explanation for how a self-focused jerk who is terrified of public speaking ends up being a Jesus-loving preacher, right? Listen, I'm just telling you, I'm not the guy who I was. Not the guy who I was before I met Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ. Jesus did something in me that nothing and nobody else was able to do. And you cannot convince me that Jesus isn't alive because he revolutionized my life. I have seen it firsthand. So that's the second reason I think that you should believe that the resurrection is true. Here's the third reason or the third proof, and I think it's the most convincing evidence that Jesus walked out of that tomb 2,000 years ago. Number three, are the eyewitness accounts. Now, here's the deal. No, nobody even really disputes the historical Jesus anymore. Like there was a time 30 or 40 years ago where there were scholars who debated that. There's enough evidence, biblical, extra biblical now, where nobody with any credibility really even argues that fact anymore. Even atheistic scholars widely accept the historical Jesus. Even the empty tomb is widely accepted now as historical fact, even in secular circles. The only real question is how that tomb got empty. 
Now, here, here's what I know. Jesus appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of about 40 days after his resurrection. And these eyewitnesses ate with Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they talked with him, they prayed with him, and they all staked their lives on this resurrected Jesus. Now, I want you to listen to me. Every single one of his disciples was eventually tortured and killed, except for John, who died as an old man on an exiled island where he wrote the book of Revelation. Every single one of them was tortured and died because they refused to renounce that they saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, not, I'm not dying for a lie. I'm, just, I'm not gonna die for a lie. I, listen, I'm not even gonna get, I'm not even gonna get hurt for a lie. Right, so if I, if I can cop some kind of story to give myself power or money or something like that, and then you come and you're like, Chris, man, you, you better renounce this lie or we're gonna cut your pinky toe off. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Like, I'm ratting everybody out at that point. I'm like, man, we stole the body. We buried it in Peter's backyard. It's under his back porch. Just don't cut my pinky toe off, right? See, a lot of people will lie when there's something in it for them. But listen, nobody lies when it's gonna cost them everything. And every single one, without exception of these guys and these gals who claim to be eyewitnesses to a resurrected Jesus, every single one of them refused to flinch in the face of torture and death. Now explain that to me. If he didn't actually rise from the dead, that makes no sense at all. Now let me, let me highlight just a couple of these eyewitness accounts. We don't have time to get into the dozens of eyewitness accounts that we could get into. I just wanna dig into a couple of them. Paul, the apostle Paul, Remember Saul of Tarsus, you remember him? He's this, this terrorist, this Jesus hater who literally killed Christians for a job until he met Jesus one day on a road to a city called Damascus and Jesus absolutely revolutionized his life. I want you to listen what the Apostle Paul, this former persecutor of followers of Jesus, writes to the, the church in 1 Corinthians 15. This will be on the screens for you. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. So this is a guy that wrote most of the New Testament. He's saying, this is the most important thing I've ever written to you, ever. I'm writing this to you, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive today, though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul goes, listen, if you don't believe me, that's cool. That's cool if you don't believe me, but go ask Peter. Go ask James. Go ask John. There are more than 500 people who saw him alive after he was dead, and most of those people are still alive, living in Jerusalem today. Go ask them. They'll tell you that this is true. He was dead, and then he was alive. I know it's nuts. I know it seems crazy. I'm just telling you, it's absolutely true. That's the Apostle Paul. What about, what about Peter? Peter, the guy who the same night Jesus was arrested, and Jesus says, hey, look, I'm about to be arrested. I'm about to be executed, and then I'm gonna rise on the third day. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, that's never gonna happen. They're never, not as long as I'm here. They're never gonna take you. Man, I will fight to the death. I will die with you, Jesus, before they take you. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he's like, Peter, that's, that's really cute, man, but 
you're going to deny me three times before the sun rises. And that's exactly what Peter did. Peter, Peter, this arrogant, this, this loud mouth who is so scared that when a, when a middle school girl asked him if he knew Jesus, he denied it three times, even cussed her out on the last time. It's like, I don't blankety blank know the man. He was so scared. And then all of a sudden, that same guy who's such a coward turns into a ferocious leader who spends the rest of his life telling people about the resurrected Jesus. Historical accounts tell us that Peter was eventually crucified upside down because he would not renounce the fact that he saw a resurrected Jesus. This is what Peter, the coward, who turned into a ferocious Jesus follower who gave his life in the cause, this is what he says in 2 Peter uh, 1.16. He says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, listen, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Peter's saying, look guys, I know this sounds crazy, but you gotta listen to me, this is not a myth. We were eyewitnesses, like I saw him with my eyes, I touched him, I spent time with him. I saw him buried, I saw him dead, and then I saw him alive, and we spent 40 days with him. This is real, you gotta believe me, this is real, and he is alive. And what about, what about James? James, a little half-brother of Jesus who, by the way, rejected the claims of Jesus until after the resurrection. And who could blame him? Who could blame him? Now, I know I can't see you here, but uh, how, how many of you out there who are tuned in have an older brother? Just raise your hand. I can't see you, but God sees you. All right, listen, I don't, I don't have an older brother, but I am an older brother. And I, I know what would happen if I went up to my sister one day and said, hey, hey Carrie, I know this is gonna be hard for you to believe. But I'm, but I'm God. I'm God, Carrie, and um, here, here's, here's, here's what I need you to do. I, I need you to start worshiping me. So you can go ahead and bow down right now and start worshiping. Now, I, 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 don't, I don't know if she would punch me in the face at that point in time or she would just like fall on the ground rolling in laughter, but here's what I do know. She wouldn't believe me. <laughs> she absolutely wouldn't believe me because we grew up together, her and I. Like she, she knows how jacked up I am. <laughs> So let me just ask you a question. What would it take for you to believe that your sibling was God and to start worshiping them? What would it take? Because that's exactly what happened to James. He didn't believe Jesus. And then all of a sudden, something happened that changed and he did believe Jesus. And he became one of the strongest leaders in the early Jerusalem church. In fact, he was ultimately martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to me, there is only one thing that could make you believe that your sibling is God and one thing only. You would have to see them predict their death and then you would have to watch them pull it off, pull the resurrection off. And that's exactly what happened to James. Look, church, I'm just, I'm just telling you, if a guy says to me, hey, hey, look, I'm gonna be executed, and then three days later, I'm coming back to life to prove to you that I am God, and then he does it, I'm going with that guy. Regardless of anything else, if a guy does that, I'm going with him. And I think that you should too. Those are just uh, three of the eyewitness accounts. Listen, there are so many more that we just don't have time to get into. There are tons of evidences of the historicity of the Resurrection of Jesus, we've done sermons on Easter in the past on those. You can probably find those in our archive somewhere. But I'm just telling you, I believe this with every fiber of my being. Jesus walked out of that grave, and he is alive today. He is who he said that he is. Now, I want to close by giving us just two kind of life-changing implications of the resurrection of Jesus, then we'll be done. 
Number one, number one, and this is a big one, your past no longer has the last word. Your past does not have the last word. Here, because here, here's what I know about some of you watching right now. You are absolutely defined by your past. You are defined by an event that happened to you or something you did or pain you caused or a painful event that was forced on you by somebody else. And so you feel guilt and you feel shame. Maybe even you feel self-hatred. And so the pattern of your life has become one of running and hiding from God because you don't feel worthy, because you don't feel like God could ever love someone like you. And what the resurrection of Jesus proves to you is that unlike every other religion in the world, which says, hey, do this, don't do this, clean yourself up, then God will love you. The resurrection says, listen, when you couldn't clean yourself up, when you couldn't keep all the rules, I came for you anyway. Of course you couldn't clean, keep all the rules. Of course you couldn't clean yourself up. That's why I had to come for you. And my love conquers all of your fears and all of your guilt and all of your shame. And Jesus is saying through the resurrection, through me, you can be made whole. I can cleanse you. I can make you clean. I can make you new. Your past doesn't have to define you now. You can be defined by your faith in the one who set you free from your past and even your present presence. So you can be made new, friend. The second implication that I think is absolutely life-changing because Jesus walked out of that tomb 2,000 years ago. Number two is your life can now be defined by bulletproof hope. I want you to hear the words of Peter, one of the eyewitnesses we just looked at to the life resurrection of Jesus. This is found in 1 Peter 1. This is what Peter says. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a, listen to this, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I don't know that the world has ever been more desperate for hope. Listen, friend, all you gotta do is turn on the news and thousands of people are dying every single day because of some unknown virus. Millions of people are losing their jobs. Uncertainty and anxiety has gripped the world that we live in. And here's what I know the only thing that will sustain you in the storms of life is a source of hope that lasts. The only thing that will sustain you, like Peter said, is a living hope, a hope that cannot die. Because listen to me, if you hitch your wagon to a, a source of hope, a person or a job or the economy or money or health or a relationship, when that source of hope fails you and fail you, it will, you will be left hopeless adrift in a sea of confusion and anxiety, and I would wager that that's exactly where some of you are at right now. You're just adrift in a sea of anxiety and fear and confusion and sorrow because you have misplaced your hope in something that has failed you. But Jesus offers you another kind of hope, a living hope, a resurrected hope, a hope that will never die, a hope that will carry you through this life and right into eternity, into the very presence of Jesus himself. And I don't know about you, but that is exactly the kind of hope that my weary soul needs in these days. I came across this, this quote that I wanted to share with you. It says this, man can live for about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. Friend, you need hope. 
You need hope. Your, your whole life, like mine, in some real way, has been a search, a quest for hope. And I'm just telling you this morning that Jesus is that hope. And the resurrection is irrefutable evidence that bulletproof hope can be yours in Christ. As we wrap things up, let me just say that this is, this is good news. Like this, this, this word gospel literally means good news. It comes from the Greek word euangelion. And in ancient times, man, this was often used for a military announcement. So I just want you to imagine for a second this scene. Put yourself in, your, in these shoes. Imagine you're alive during biblical times and word breaks that there is a powerful, bloodthirsty enemy kingdom on its way to conquer and obliterate your nation. Imagine that how fearful you would be. Now imagine that your king and his army goes out to meet them on the battlefield and defend and rescue all the inhabitants of your land. And you don't know what's gonna happen, right? There's no, there's no Facebook, there's no Twitter, there's no Instagram, you don't know what's gonna happen. You're waiting for days, weeks, possibly months, and your entire life hangs in the balance. Are we gonna live? Or are we gonna die as our entire family, everybody that you love gonna be slaughtered and brutalized in unspeakable ways? What, what must that have been like to wait on those news, on that news? And then imagine that one day you see from the far off across the field that the herald, the messenger of news, is, he's sprinting across the field, right? And he finally gets to the city gate and he climbs the wall and he gets to the top and everybody is gathered around and he's trying to get his breath and he finally gets his breath and he yells, I have an euangelion for you today. I have a message, I have good news. Today you are gonna live. Our king has gone and he has conquered the enemy. Today you live, your wives live, your kids live. Can you imagine the joy and the celebration and the tears and hugging, right? This is the gospel. Jesus, our king, has gone to battle for us and he has conquered our enemies of sin, death, and hell. And so today, friend, you can live. That is the message of Easter. Now here's what I wanna say to you. I know that there are many of you watching this right now and you've walked away for a variety of reasons. Maybe you got hurt in church at some point. Maybe you tried to follow all the rules and you're like me, you realized pretty quickly that you couldn't keep all the rules or maybe you walked away because you have a messy past or one of a thousand other reasons. But I'm just telling you, I'm giving you the gospel, I'm giving you an evangelion today, good news that Jesus came for you, that he came for you, that he lived a perfect life that you should have lived, that he died a brutal and bloody death to pay for your sins and that he rose again, conquering death and hell to give you new life now and forever. And so here's, here's the big idea of the whole message this morning. If you, if you don't get anything else out of, you don't remember anything else, remember this. Remember this will be on the screens for you. You are the object of God's relentless love. You are the object of God's relentless love and the resurrection of Jesus proves that. There's only one question left for you. What are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? Because there really are only two responses to this kind of news. You either walk away or you give your life away to it. And listen, I have staked my life on this and I think you should too. Jesus is alive. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for loving us enough to come into our mess to rescue us, God through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. God, I pray right now for the person watching this, 
maybe for the many people who are watching this right now who have never, never surrendered their lives to you. Maybe they're religious, maybe they're irreligious, God, but they are distant from you, and deep down they know that's the truth. God, I, I pray that today would be the day where this just hits home in a, in a new way, in a fresh way, where this clicks in their minds and their hearts. God, would you give them the courage? If that's them, if that's you listening right now, friend, I'm praying right now that God would just give you the courage to sincerely cry out to him and just to pray some prayer like this. God, God, I, I, I've messed things up. God, I, I confess that I'm, I'm a sinner. And I believe, not just in my head, but maybe for the first time in my heart, I believe that you, you came and you died and you rose again to set me free, God. So I surrender my life to you, to Jesus, starting today for the rest of my days. And if you just prayed that prayer with me right now, I want you to know, that your first step is to let us know so that we can walk this path with you. If you just prayed that prayer and you're live on one of our chats, this is, this is what I want you to do right now. I just want you to type in, I accepted Jesus, and hit enter. That's all you gotta do. Nobody's gonna judge you, nobody's gonna make fun of you. Just type in, I accepted, if you prayed that, I accepted Jesus, type it in, and we will contact you this week and walk with you. If you're not on a live chat right now, you can email us. Info at nlcca.org. That's on the screen for you right now. Info at nlcca.org. Let us know. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his incredible name that we pray. Amen. Church, he is risen. He is alive. Let's stand and worship the lamb who is slain on our behalf for our freedom.